Welcome everyone to another installment of Cooking Goals. I really do appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, this past week was my birthday and I had a fantastic time with some really close friends and family. I'd like to thank those people again who uh, spend their time with me as well as those who uh, sent me some birthday wishes as well. It's something that I've uh, recently not been doing a lot of, as obviously with the circumstances that we're under, but also been focusing a lot uh, on myself and my very close kin uh, these days. But it was nice to get out and about and uh, see some people who I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, so as the Gold Coast is putting the uh, the advertisement down there, so don't forget to call your loved ones, because uh, I definitely did really enjoy spending some time with my loved ones. Um, today's episode with Naomi is a really interesting one. Uh, Naomi is a very passionate and very hard-working lady who I really look up to. Uh, she was thankful enough to uh, give us some of her time uh, a few weeks ago, but she did have to run off uh, in, in the end there. So if the episode does sound a little bit rushed, that was just because I wanted to get uh, as many uh, questions in as I could within the, the short amount of time that we did have with her. Uh, so I really do appreciate, again, uh, Naomi coming on, and please listen in and enjoy the episode. Professor of of entrepreneurship and business innovation for the Griffith Business School. How are you, Naomi? Great, Nathan. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I don't think I'm running as flat out as you are, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I like to start off each episode by just telling the listeners uh, how we met. So I was involved in a more of an entrepreneurship type, um, I guess, subgroup when I graduated from the university uh, at Griffith, and we had you come as a as a speaker one morning. And unfortunately, I had to go. I had to duck out while you were there, just jump into some work things, because uh, I ended up working at the university at the time. But it was really, uh, I'm really grateful that you were. I was able to meet you and and in that setting as well. And thanks for providing your um, your advice during that day. But um, since then, you know, I've really, I've, I've really, really, really been bugging you. <laughs> Today, we talked to Naomi Bird Thistle, Associate Professor of, of Entrepreneurship and Business Innovation for the Griffith Business School. How are you, Naomi? Great, Nathan. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I don't think I'm running as flat out as you are, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I like to start off each episode by just telling the listeners uh, how we met. So I was involved in a more of an entrepreneurship type, um, I guess, subgroup when I graduated from the university uh, at Griffith, and we had you come as a as a speaker one morning. And unfortunately, I had to go. I had to duck out while you were there, just jump into some work things, because uh, I ended up working at the university at the time. But it was really, uh, I'm really grateful that you were. I was able to meet you and and in that setting as well. And thanks for providing your um, your advice during that day. But um, since then, you know, I've really, I've, I've really, really, really been bugging you <laughs> to try come on the podcast. And it's something that I'm really passionate about entrepreneurship, and I'm sure you are today. And we'll learn about that today. Um, so that's just for a bit of the listeners just kind of know where um, I, I kind of found Naomi. But um, tell the listeners about yourself, uh, Naomi, if you don't mind. Yes, of course. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Nathan. And actually, funny enough, um, just on Monday of this week, I did another mentoring session with um, another cohort of dietetics. So um, I didn't realize that I could talk for an hour and a half off script, you know, and it was great. It was great fun. But um, yeah, uh, I'm originally Irish. I'm actually with Griffith just a year this week. 
Uh, prior to that, I was in Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne uh, for just under four years. And prior to that, uh, some 20 years in the University of Limerick in um, Ireland. So I am teaching and researching and engaging in entrepreneurship. And I have been doing that since I've been quite a young one, uh, which I can say in a sense that I, I started my entrepreneurial experience when I was about seven. And that was uh, buying and selling books. I saw an opportunity in my primary school um, to somewhat be a bit environmental friendly as well but at that time I didn't think of that it was actually oh how can I make some more pocket money and I borrowed some money off my father who charged me interest and um, uh, hired the local school hall and in the first year made uh, £200 profit and then subsequent years because I did that right through primary school it was quite profitable and then um, I was working with family business so I've got some entrepreneurship experience and I'll explain that later if we have some time and then when I was in my early 20s I uh, set up my own consulting firm called Mind Your Own Business Limited so um, I've had the pleasure of doing entrepreneurship as a subject in my undergraduate program. I spent a year in Babson College in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which unbeknownst to me was the number one entrepreneurial school in the world. All that I knew and my father knew was that I was getting an American education for free uh, because <laughs> of a relationship between Ireland, uh, Scotland and the US. And um, from that, I learned but actually you can teach entrepreneurship and you can teach family business. And um, it was from that then that I emerged into being a researcher, an academic and a scholar within the discipline. That's awesome. You've, you've answered a bunch of my questions straight off the bat. So that's, so that's awesome. And uh, seeing, you know, someone, uh, for someone in my age, you know, I'm in my mid-20s and you look at someone who's seven years old, you wouldn't... Um, and you probably your dad experienced the same thing, looking, oh, what's my daughter wanting to do? Sell books, but obviously he trusted in you, and he said, oh, I can I can make a bit off this as well. So um, that's cool to see that he charged some interest and things like that. Um, and for it to go go towards, you know, your I guess interest in where you are now. So that's kind of your field entrepreneurship in general. But you, as you said, you do so many things inside that. You know, you teach and you're actually an entrepreneur yourself, and then also you're managing and consulting as well. So. Are you still conducting all those activities now or are you more focused in the university uh, scholarly pathway? Um, actually, I'm still doing both. Um, like just this week now, I've um, submitted a couple of research grants. Um, have I've contributed to an OECD report. So just got some uh, feedback on that back about uh, the contribution, but also uh, doing some work with uh, some local entrepreneurs to try and help them through the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and also trying to obviously lead uh, a group of scholarly um, activities in terms of developing uh, courses or niche uh, little courses for helping people who've lost 
lost their jobs, etc. Um, I also still, we still have properties in Ireland, so um, a little bit of um, entrepreneurial ex- um, activities there as well. So we don't have kids, uh, so it's just mm. my husband and I. So uh, we basically um, are slightly workaholics, and Dave, my husband, still works on Irish time because he works for an Irish company. So um, having, you know, a lot of scope at home to be able to focus in on passions uh, that I have, because I don't see my job as being a labor or anything like that. It actually is a passion. So um, I love, you know, teaching students, kids coming in, some arrogant kids, some quiet kids, some shy kids, some over-the-top kids coming into the classroom going, oh, I don't want to be an entrepreneur, or I am an entrepreneur, and then just seeing how people morph into, you know, understanding more their career path and also understanding they may not be an entrepreneur, but now actually they have got what we call enterprising skills, which are skills that still are part of the entrepreneurial mindset and behaviours that still can be used within somebody else's organisation. So, yeah, I I have my hands in many different pies and... um, uh, yes, I'm multitasking, but um, it's actually really is good fun. And, you know, this is why I've been doing it for a quarter of a century. Uh, this year, it's my uh, 25th anniversary of teaching. So, yeah. Yeah, well, fantastic. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a definitely a skill that comes along with uh, the traits of being an entrepreneur would be that multitasking, um, I guess, way of living or way of working. And I know that people that I know, you say that you either live to work or you work to live. And definitely from... Um, what you said there, it sounds like you're more of the um, uh, live to work. You really just enjoy it, mm-hmm. and then that's that's Absolutely. it's not not necessarily separate, but it's more um, part of who you are and what you do. So that's awesome. And so I read on your profile on Griffith that you've been to I think four four establishments now. So you've you must enjoy the university lifestyle. <laughs> I know I do. Um, what did you experience different in in those you know four to five different institutions, as well as being in different countries as well? It's a very good question. Nobody's really asked me that question. Um, I suppose um, having having very much an international experience. So I'll, I'll give you some context about the institutions I've been in, um, both as a student and as a academic. So um, I did my undergraduate degree in Stirling University in Scotland. I then, as I said, went to uh, Babson College in Wellesley, Massachusetts for a year. I did Harvard uh, for uh, three months in um, my undergraduate year as well. So, and then I finished my degree in Scotland and then went to Ireland and did my master's and my PhD. So as a student, I have been um, all over the place really, but that has very much stood to me as a um, European citizen, but now actually as a global citizen, because I've interacted with many different cultures, many different uh, individuals, many different um, opinions and attitudes. So I, I'm quite lucky in that I do speak uh, do speak French. I speak English and Irish, obviously, but um, through speaking French, I had an amazing experience when I was in Boston, where I worked for Congressman Joe Kennedy, 
of the Kennedy uh, dynasty. And um, at that time, it, uh, we had, unfortunately, the Haitian crisis that happened, and there was an influx of Haitians to uh, Boston and Massachusetts. But nobody in the area could actually speak French. So um, I was able to get involved in helping uh, individuals uh, settle into a lifestyle and into a life um, of uh, some security, at least, in uh, Boston. So it was actually really from that that I did see that, you know, it is important for me to not be just living on the island of Ireland, I do need to spread my wings and interact with others and be part of other communities. So from that, actually, I uh, went to the European Commission and represented the um, Irish youth in uh, the, the field that uh, the family business is in, which uh, they call occupational travellers, which are actually showmen and showwomen. And I went there and represented uh, the voice of the minority, which uh, is the youth in a sense. So from that, um, I proceeded to actually say, look, you know, when I go into the family business, I didn't have that opportunity because of family dynamics. So I got my degree and I um, went into further education then um, and got my job basically in the University of Limerick and then was a visiting professor to Alto University in Finland, where actually I just came back there at the end of uh, February. Um, and so I teach around the world. I've taught in um, uh, as a visiting professor in uh, University of Ghent in, in Brussels. Uh, that was a very interesting experience because um, it, it was Flemish and Wulun. They were speaking, so it was like a little bit over my head. But, you know, if you try and, you know, break down barriers and try your pidgin English, pidgin uh languages you can actually you know and be friendly and open obviously uh you can help um borders or you can help barriers to be crossed um I did also teach in Russia, in St. Petersburg. I was a visiting professor there for a month, and um, I'm still in contact with my colleague in uh, St. Petersburg, and that was an amazing experience. Um, and then I taught in America as well. So I, I, I've been around the world uh, with my teaching. I have seen, actually, the value of people opening themselves to international um, ideas, international people. When I was in the States, I met many of the kids there who had never been out of their own state, they let alone have a passport. A lot of them did not have a passport. And they were very parochial in their thinking and very limited mindset, I have to say. And um, I, I do see the value of the youth today taking time to go overseas and it has always stood to me that I've had that international experience as a human being on this this world but also that I can bring into my teaching and into my scholarly activities the value of cross-border uh, cooperations and relations and you know we're all the same you know our skin color might be different or um you know, or, or eyes are different or whatever, but at the end of the day, we all got a beating heart and we all have a brain, so we're all humans and we should all treat each other like that. And I do think, you know, having that international experience, that ability to 
relate with others really does stand to me as an academic, as a business person and as a researcher. That's amazing. That's such a good insight to see um, not just the, obviously when you think about travelling and um, different countries, you obviously think about different landscape, but then it's putting it back to um, very simple words of saying, you know, you'll have a brain, you'll have a heart. You know, it's not that uh, that we're different in that way. That that really brings us together is the same. We can all have the ability to learn, and, and especially in an institution like a university. So you've had a, a world of experience, and you you can you mentioned that you still um, and when I when I met you a year ago, you still teach overseas. That's correct. So um, yes, yeah, and so is that you're teaching a program at certain universities at, at the moment or is it like when you say guest professor? Uh, so I I have a, a rolling contract in a sense and I've actually just been in contact with um, my colleagues in Finland. So I normally teach in, it's called Alto University, double A-L-T-O, which is one of the leading, uh, I think it's in the top uh, 10 uh, universities for the design thinking phenomenon. And um, I teach in Alto University most January, February for three weeks. So you know how we teach here in Australia over 12 weeks, you have three hours of class or whatever. In in Finland, what we do is we teach for 15 days, uh, 45 hours, so three hours a day. So the students who are actually part of Alto University are in the top 5% in Finland in terms of educational ability. So there's some amazing students there and also the education is free. Um, so it's interesting parallels between those students who get a free education and students who pay for their education. In Finland, because it's free, they actually have to turn up to class. And if they don't turn up to class, if they miss three classes, they'll fail the course. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's a different mindset. It's a different thinking. But, yeah, I teach there. And um, at times, you know, if I go back to Ireland, um, uh, I give a guest lecture to uh, my old institution or there's a couple of other places in Ireland and Dundalk, for example. Um, I give normally a class there on research methods or on family business and um, um, my parents live in France, so I've given a couple of classes, uh, guest lectures in uh, Montpellier and in Marseille as well. So, yes. That's amazing. And so I just, I've just i just got an extra question here. I'll try to squeeze it in. I've heard mm-hmm. the term design thinking a bunch recently, um, and you said it's more of, I guess, used in that um, area of Alto. Is that where it originated, did you say, or is... Um, well, Alto University is known for its uh, design thinking approach, in a sense. Um, um, so Stanford University, uh, the D school there, really are the, the major leaders in design thinking. Um, and design thinking is really just the process of um, understanding your users, your customers, and then looking at those customers' assumptions and then maybe going back to your problem and understanding the problem now in the context of your customer's assumptions and then basically once you have that understanding you create a product or service that will actually help to solve those problems you prototype it you test it and then you come back and hopefully have a product or service that is actually in line with your customer needs 
Awesome. That's a really good explanation of that, and it's something I've I've not necessarily known um, how exactly how it works when it's been told to me. But that's that's great for the listeners to uh, give a two sentence answer. So that's great. I guess skipping to the to the end of that process now. So uh, the pitching and the funding part of being, uh, if you're at that stage in a in a project, um, that's more middle and end a section of um, having an idea. What are the problems you see? with people in that space? Um, okay. Um, well, I suppose pitching isn't really a, a, a final stage. Pitching actually is a constant stage when you're an entrepreneur because, you know, you might be pitching your idea to um a founder who could actually be coming onto your team to maybe give their expertise, or you might be even just pitching to your partner going, you know, I have this great idea. This is what I want to do. You know, I'm going to pack in my job and go and do this full time. So uh, pitching is a constant and pitching, you know, um, you've got various types of ways people pitch in a sense, you know, there's a a robotic formaic uh, approach to pitching, which is uh, boring. It's uh, not enthusiastic. It's not engaging. You have the artistic way of pitching and that's where uh, basically you you're, you're pitching more your sort of personality and uh, your yourself rather than even the product or service. And people, you know, oftentimes engage with uh, that type of pitch more because they may not like the product or service, but they like you as an individual. Um, and then we, there's what we also call, it's actually Elsbach, who um, has this uh, theory of uh, different types of stereotypes of pictures. And she also identifies one which is called the showrunner, in a sense. And the showrunner uh, person who's pitching is basically somebody who can craft and, in a sense, articulate a story and um, is also engaging, like an artist, in a sense, but has more sort of a refined approach to their pitch there's a bit more professionalism in it even the way they dress in comparison to the artistic uh picture in a sense um so pitching is uh, something that can be taught it, it should be practiced it should be um in a sense there is a, a formula you can use depending on the audience you're pitching to but at the end of the day you don't want to, that robotic approach you want to get your personality across because as i say to students you know oftentimes people are investing in other people rather than the products and services themselves because at the end of the day customers don't buy from a business they buy from a person and you know when you're weighing up uh, maybe two competitors and if you have a relationship or a understanding of one of the individuals you would choose that person probably over somebody else so pitching is a constant pitching should be practiced it should be um you know at any particular time, you should go and uh, practice as much as possible. I would absolutely recommend to your uh, listeners to join Toastmasters. 
to uh, learn and understand uh, public speaking and how to have different sort of pitches or patterns or conversations depending on the audience. You also were saying about funding. Um, funding is always a difficult thing to get. It's a contentious thing at times because if you ever watch the Shark Tank programs, you'll see people say, you know, I value this business at uh, $5 million, so I'm going to just give you you know, 10% for this amount, you know, and like people say, you know, where do they get that value from? And, you know, we always have to be realistic about how much we think the value of our company is. And also you have to be realistic about how much money you need to run your business, to operate your business. So you need money on a day-to-day -day basis, which is normally typically called your um, working capital. Uh, you need funding and money to um, maybe rent a premises or you beg, borrow and steal. So not steal, not but that's just the <laughs> phrase. Um, but um, I say to people, you know, as much as possible, use what we call in a sense a bricolage approach, you know, find what is around. Um, I have two young students who finished uh, with me last uh, December, two computer science students who have started their own business. They, I think you were at the, uh, that event, the Griffith Innovation Challenge. So the Fishing Mate boys um, decided to go into business and they are actually setting up, they are set up as a app company, uh, High Throw, it's called High, H-I-G-H, T-H-R-O. And um, uh, basically they said, okay, we're going to use this money and we're going to go and buy, you know, desks and tables and chairs and filing cabinets. And I said, no, you don't. What you do is you find the very expensive areas around Brisbane and around the Gold Coast and you look at what people are putting out on the sidewalk because you will find a sofa there, you will find a chair there, you will find a set of shelves and whatever. Four weeks later, the guys send me a picture of their bricolaged garage with bits and pieces that they've got, that they've borrowed, that they've got for free, etc. And they were able then to use the funding that they got from the Griffith Innovation Challenge to actually finance the startup, their startup of their business for company registration, uh, for registering the business name, etc. Um, so financing and funding can be got from various sources and um, within the funding domain, there is a theory called the pecking order theory, where you have at the lowest level um, your own funds and uh, your parents' funds or your husband's or wife's funds or your inheritance or the money that you've got from a redundancy, let's say. So you use that first. And then we've got debt, um, which uh, comes from commercial loans. Um, we can uh, maybe even look at doing uh, some investor funding. Uh, an angel investor invests up to $100,000 in businesses. And then we have the end of the pecking order theory, we've got uh, equity investment, where we go and give away ownership of our business. That's the equity. So you've got a big pizza pie, 100% is yours. And then the minute you take a slice off that and you give that away to somebody else, that's some of the equity gone in the business. Maybe it could be 10%, 25%. It depends on how big the piece of the pizza pie is. And um, 
equity actually investment is great initially for the business because you've got lots of money coming into the business. But remember, somebody has ownership of your business and they own some of your shares. They could sell that to somebody else or they could actually put more demands on you and the business because they are part owners in the business as well. So, so lastly, I, I do suggest, you know, try and uh, get as much for free try and be realistic about how much money you do need. Um, I always, always add 25% onto any budget that I devise myself, be it a household budget or a business budget or a personal budget, because you always need that little bit of a buffer zone. That's great advice. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we'll jump at the, I know, you know, in terms of time, so we'll jump to the other end. What has been... Uh, you know, if you could give away, away one piece of advice for people who are looking at starting a business or their own company or have an idea, what would be their next step? Um, talk to as many people as possible. Um, use your alumni. You know, if we're talking uh, to people now who are Griffith alumni, come back to your alma mater. Find what they can do for you. So um, such as this, the mentoring circle that Lana um, has established, or maybe within the business school, we're looking for projects for our students to complete. And, you know, those projects could come from these young entrepreneurs who are thinking of a business idea, but maybe don't have the time to investigate it or maybe the abilities to investigate it. You know, get a student group in your alumni institution to actually do that for you. Um, network. Network as much as possible, as often as possible as you can. So go to the meetups or go online and uh, get your personal brand displayed, showing who you are as an individual, how it's linked to your business brand. Um, get um, your, your profile up on LinkedIn, um, represented there, obviously, in a professional manner. And um, talk to as many people and ask as many questions and constantly ask why. Because the why is a great question to get answers to. So why did you do that particular thing? Why did you buy that particular product? Why are you looking for it in that particular color, et cetera, et cetera? Because that can then inform you on an understanding of a customer base or a potential opportunity um, or a potential market to penetrate. So absolutely, first is to talk to your institution you've graduated from. What can they do for you? Network as much as possible and ensure that you have a personal brand that is developed that represents you and your business. Amazing. I can't wait to publish this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, you did mention, you know, you've, you've been teaching over 25 years, so you would have had um, a lot of lessons learned in, in obviously in consulting as well in terms of your own family business. What has been your, your biggest lesson up to this point in terms of um, entrepreneurship? Um, I suppose my, my biggest lesson learned is that I don't know it all. I have to keep learning. I have to keep um, listening. And, you know, 
it's 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 never too late you know to go into um uh your own business if you want to so i've i've seen very much so the emergence of what we're calling seniorpreneurs where you know we we see a resurgence here very much actually on the gold coast of uh, 55-year-olds or more who are setting up their own business. So, you know, keep a constant eye on um, emerging markets, on um, what's happening in the environment that you're you're in, in a sense. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to ask people for help. And uh, now I'm a great one to say because I don't ask people for help myself. But, um, you know, at the moment, whilst I'm in academia, but when I was running my own business, I absolutely constantly were asking people for to help me out. And from that, you know, I've still maintained a long-term and long-distance relationship with uh, former uh, friends, etc., who helped me out. Um, so, I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah of Good. course, yeah. And how do you, I know this. you got this program running now at Griffith that I did attend, so that's the second time that it's run on the Gold Coast. Um, has that been running previously uh, in other campuses? The... Um, you mean the Griffith Innovation Challenge? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the Griffith Innovation Challenge um, started just last year and um, it ran in Nathan in the first uh, trimester and then, yes, on the Gold Coast in the second trimester. But then I got my hands on it. So um, meaning I have actually redesigned the, the course that you were talking about, the Griffith Innovation Challenge, but I've actually redesigned with my team the whole undergraduate major in entrepreneurship. You know, it was a course that had two marketing courses on it. And I thought, look, we've got now expertise in entrepreneurship. Let's use their expertise. So we've taken away the marketing courses and now we've actually got uh, the Griffith Innovation Challenge embedded into the entrepreneurship major. We have a family business course embedded in the major, digital innovation, social and cultural entrepreneurship. Um, We have building the new venture, which is your business planning as well. And then we have um, the tools kit course in a sense, which is called um, now innovation, creativity and entrepreneurship and what I've done with the Griffith Innovation Challenge is actually in a sense I've I've done it so that it's a foundation building block for people to get an understanding of the entrepreneurial skill set mindset and behaviors that you need to be an entrepreneur or also an intrapreneur and I will and I do want to come back to that in a few minutes Um, and What we do in the Griffith Innovation Challenge now is rather than doing the business plan, which students do anyway in building a new venture, they're doing a feasibility study. So they're testing the feasibility of an opportunity. So we're focusing a lot more on the self and personal development, on how to find 
opportunities in the marketplace and then how to evaluate those opportunities through a feasibility study. And in a sense, it builds on then through the other courses that we do, uh, builds on their repertoire of skills. And I have mentioned there a few times. Sorry, first of all, is that okay? Um, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Right? So I have mentioned a few times there uh, the term intrapreneurship. And um, I recently gave a webinar to uh, Griffith University alumni in Canberra. And then I was meant to fly down to Melbourne and Sydney, which I've never been to Sydney yet. Um, oh, wow. uh, but obviously with COVID-19 that impacted everybody. But um, I did the webinar online there just a month ago. And it was about enterprising tools, but using entrepreneurship um, as a way to harness your entrepreneurship entrepreneurial acumen in a sense. So um, entrepreneurship is to do with you acting enterprisingly in somebody else's business. So um, I'm an entrepreneur now, I have to say, in Griffith University because I'm creating new programs that we are commercializing to industry. Um, When I was in my family business, I was given the opportunity to run with a budget with um, for whatever thing that I thought was appropriate to build the side of the family business that I was working in. Um, so being an entrepreneur is where you're actually running or looking at running a business within somebody else's business, or you're looking to be creative and um, developing a new product or service in somebody else's business and having the luxury of the security of a full-time job, but still, you know, being innovative, being creative, being um, developmental in in new ideas. Um, And this is how, for example, you know, the post-it notes came about. That's the the first real known classic example of entrepreneurship uh, emerging. And uh, Steve Jobs said uh, that... um, was it Steve Jobs who said that? Let me just think, was it? Um, yeah, uh, that the early days um, of the Apple Mac, yeah, yeah, it was Steve Jobs. I thought it might have been the other guy. But no, Steve Jobs said that, um, you know, the early, the 70s and 80s um, was when um, the Apple Macintosh came about. And that only actually really came about when um, the people were being entrepreneurial within Apple at that time through actually being creative and innovative and having the flexibility to uh, come up with ideas. And he said they were like going back to the garage, but within a big corporate. Uh, so I'm encouraging even, you know, within uh, the, the practices, uh, maybe your dietetics are um, are operating in or is it in a hospital or in a nursing home or whatever, to look at how um, processes and systems and procedures could actually be changed and improved upon and go to your boss and say, look, here is what I'm suggesting in terms of improvement and change. Um, Give me the opportunity to do that and to implement that. And that is enabling you to be entrepreneurial within somebody else's organization. That's awesome. I I love hearing, I have heard the word before and I I never did quite understand it, but thanks so much for explaining that, Naomi. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you have mentioned things like attributes and skills and you know innovation as well as being an entrepreneur inside someone else's company. What do you see is different is a differentiation? I don't know how to say this word. Differentiating factor for those who you see come through the program. So for someone who's going to be at the pitching night, or then someone who doesn't quite get there, um, is there huge differences between people who reach those stages and people who don't? Um. You see, that's a moment in time. Um, So I think, you know, we do go through hurdles. We do as business people and as entrepreneurs, we don't always succeed. But I think, you know, if... Um, if you display, in a sense, um, a creative mindset, the ability to be flexible, uh, be innovative, um, be open to change, uh, be part of a community and listen to, you know, the pulse of the customer and knowing what the customer wants and being reactive to your customers. Uh, being, you know, this is why we're getting through COVID-19 because lots of small business have been able to pivot and um, adapt their own business because they have been able to take a measure of the situation very quickly and then revise their own business models and say, you know, we've got to turn the production cycle into something else, making PPEs or maybe hand sanitizers or something else. Um, So uh, very much I see those who are successful are those who keep an eye on the marketplace, keep an eye on the customers be of a mindset that you know you you can fail and yes we do fail but also be able to learn from those failures and be able to push through those and you know use that as a learning curve as much as any other experience that you have as well um more rightly so those who don't make it in a sense are the ones who think they have a market Uh, because they believe there's a market there, but they haven't tested it and they haven't gone out and talked to the customers. Um, um, I mentioned the personal brand as well, uh, where they actually affect their own personal brand, where they don't live up to the values that they are actually portraying in their personal brand, which then obviously impacts on their own business brand as well. So, you know, if you're saying you're eco-friendly and then, you know, there's a mountain of plastic associated with your product or you're there, you know, completely going against the ethos of your own organization by doing one thing and saying and saying one thing and doing another thing. So, um, you know, there, in a sense, some people who don't succeed um, and also not thinking about getting a team you know it's very seldom nowadays you will see the solo entrepreneur and the expectations to be a solo entrepreneur that's actually quite uh, foreign now because most businesses are actually set up with a team and in a sense the investors expect there to be a team because they can see you know if that proverbial bus came along, you know, maybe 25% of the intellectual property is gone, but still there's 75% there because it's a team of four. But then when they're investing in a team of one, if that proverbial bus comes along, the whole business knowledge is gone. So, um, and, you know, I've seen, I've interacted with many students, many, many students. And, um, 
you know, some some have made it actually. Um, I've had some MBA students who uh, just last year actually sold their business for forty seven million pound uh, million euros. So what's that about? Maybe. Uh, 70,000, 70 million uh, dollars. Uh, and it came from a business plan uh, that they did for us within their MBA course. Uh, but they were two completely unassuming guys, two guys that never would have thought, you know, would have gone into business themselves. And then I had another student, uh, a student, I still remember him today, um, who came up to me and he said, I got, and he was, he was a country guy, so he was a real Irish farmer. So I got, a, I got an idea for a business. I said, okay, tell me about it. It's a dating app. And I said, oh God, okay. For cows. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Okay. Talk to me. Tell me more. By God, it was a brilliant idea. At the end of the day, you know, I, I had these illusions and aspira uh, his aspirations were like on one track and not mine were on this other idea and whatever. But then when he kept talking to me about the fact by the way, the beef industry is a multi-billion euro business in Ireland. It's The products are uh, sought all around the world. Um, we've got this reputation, we've got this brand. And I said, okay, he's onto something here. And I said, well, what's already done for getting cows and cattle together to mate and whatever? He said, it's just at the mart. That's it. Nothing else. And I said, OK, well, look, you know the sector, you know the field, you know, no pun intended. And yeah. um, he recently sold his business for 18 million euros. Yeah, wow. So, you know, um, don't. Uh, one thing for me is never, never think just because optically or the the optically of the person or the initial idea might sound completely wacko listen to them and you know scope it out and investigate it and you know at the end of the day if you can show there's a volume of a market there's little to no competition you have expertise that's sort of unique to you or you know it's a hard to get expertise and you can bring that to the business well then i would say go for it and i'm glad i encouraged this young farmer at that particular time he's now married with kids and everything and obviously a multi-millionaire um you know go for it and you know sometimes don't listen to people who think they know everything just go for it if your heart and soul believes that it's something that will work after you know due diligence doing the research doing the market research getting the brand getting the reputation go for it but start small beg borrow steal do bricolage use your front garage you know use as much of a network as you can as possible and go for it that's awesome i, I love hearing stories like that especially you know if so, someone on the other side is um or at the start you know getting maybe pushed in the dirt and now they're now they're king of the mountain, so that's it's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool to yeah. see that. And prove me wrong too. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Now, I noticed a few things at the bottom of your email chain, um, Naomi. I wanted to talk more about more about you yourself at the moment. So, can you tell me a little bit about the Emerald Impact Award you received last year? Okay. Um, uh, 
we've done some research on enterprising women and about empowering women in rural and developing uh, in rural. Uh, parts of the world and in developing nations. So um, with a team led by Professor Robin, Robin Eversall in Swinburne and with colleagues in Sarawak in Tasmania and um, obviously in Melbourne, uh, we did work on enterprising women and we've written up a, a number of publications on it and we were put forward for um, an Emerald Award. We didn't win, but we came second. So uh, that was the Emerald uh, Award that we received uh, last year. So um, it was mainly as a result of the impact that our findings had because the Sarawak uh, government in Malaysia um, actually took our research findings and used that finding as a basis to fund uh, a women's startup uh, initiative in a rural part of Sarawak and then to fund um, some women um, owned and led businesses in the Sarawak region. So um, obviously, you know, because of the impact and the positive impact it had, that led to the nomination and the second place award. Awesome. Sorry to bring that up. I didn't realise that you, um, you know, weren't the winners, but thank you so much for, um, oh, yeah. yeah, no, that's cool. Sorry to mention that. That's, um, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, yeah. I, as I say, for anybody, you know, if you've got a new customer, tell everybody online. You know, yeah. so, you know I, I, I'm very lucky in that I've won a lot and a number of uh, quite prestigious awards. I have no crumbs and putting it on my email or on my uh, salutation or whatever, because it's again going back to that phrase the personal brand of who you are and the point of differentiation and why somebody should maybe use you or use a product or service because you've got something good about you or you've a point of difference that's awesome thanks for that uh, Naomi thanks for sharing and then you also have you have a book that's just come out this year as well startup startup accelerators do you want to talk about that as well Oh, that was the most amazing experience, I have to say. Uh, So as I said, I was in Swinburne University of Technology and um, a member of staff, uh, Richard, actually uh, approached me to uh, work on a book with him. And I said, I'd love to. However, I am actually leaving Swinburne next week. And he goes, oh, okay. And (laughs) you still want to work on me uh, on the book with me? I said, absolutely. Go on, tell me what you want me to do. Um, So he and Steve had actually written the book basically, and they wanted me to come on board and put the academic slant on it. So um, I said, look, you know, we're leaving next week to drive up to Queensland and um, I start my job in May, so I'll do some work on it. So it was actually very, very well-written chapters. I read 78 journal articles from April until July, and we submitted to the publisher on the 1st of of August, so got the book uh, book chapters from them in April, and we submitted to the uh, publishers in um, August. So uh, we were absolutely delighted about that experience. So we're um, looking at scoping another book on entrepreneurial behaviours and mindset, and I'm actually writing another book and then a book series on. Um, we're sorry, we're editing a book series on. Um, 
sorry, just turning my mobile phone off, um, a book series on women, um, women-led family businesses um, around the world. And that will be uh, two years in the making. And then uh, we're writing uh, a mini book series on uh, family businesses and um specifically women-led family businesses and how they're aligned to the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So there's going to be 17 mini books uh, within the uh, SDGs, uh, Sustainable Development Goals, and that will be out in 2022. That's awesome. That's fascinating. I, um, I, I'm become an avid reader the last couple, maybe last year, more, more so this year, and I've got so many books stacked up against um, my bookshelf, so I can't wait to uh, add those books to it as well. Wonderful. Especially, Wonderful. especially with the de- development goals. So someone who works in that space, myself, like it's trying to – there's some, some big goals there, so it's really interesting to see what's out there who aren't – especially for businesses and people who aren't just focused on the dollar value but, you know, the impact of yes. Their, yes. their venture. Um. I know you probably your phone's ringing, so I won't. Um, I've just got one, one last question, Naomi. And I I ask this to all my guests. Um, what is an ideal day for Naomi? What What would you, if you had any uh, anything, you know, at your grass? Like for example, I give this example to everyone. So uh, my friend Aaron, he came on the first episode, and he was snowboarding in the morning and then surfing in the evening. Um, so what what would you get up to, Naomi? Okay, so realistically. I, I told you I, I'm a workaholic, so um, it is basically nine to nine working. Um, so um, it would be like, for example, um, I've got 48 videos to record for a course. Uh, I've just finished a application for uh, a grant. I'm writing, co-authoring a paper on um, how do we get American business schools to have a model like the Finnish educational system, um, review a lesson plan and PowerPoint slides for one of my courses, do a day-long workshop for uh, professional staff. I'm teaching on the creative industries course of a day-long workshop to do there. I've just been told I'm writing one of the foundation courses for the new Super B Biz course. Uh, So my day actually, unfortunately, at the moment is very sad in that it's completely and utterly work-related, but I absolutely love it. I love doing it. So Dave bought me a new bike. Uh, so I did a 10K ride yesterday, um, very slow. It was 41 minutes it took me. So I need to increase my speed and you know get more mileage um, on my bike. Um, but I, as I say, I'm a complete workaholic. I uh, live and breathe teaching, researching, um, I'm also a TEXA reviewer. I do work for the uh, European Commission. Um, my parents live in France. My sister lives in the UK. My sister and brother live in Ireland. So, you know, they're on a different time zone. So about 11 o'clock at night, we talk to each other then. Um, though we are watching the Marvel series in sequence. Oh. So we've just in, done the Incredible Hulk last night and we're on to Thor, which is yes, <laughs> uh, which is tonight and Thor tomorrow. And so we got the beers in, got the crisps in. Um, 
but you know it is it is very work driven it is very uh research driven um um i each year i constantly change my my le my lecture notes and my my material because you know each student group is different and they deserve something new something modernized um but also david's just brought us a a, a, a a heater for the camper. So um, when COVID-19 uh, relaxes again, we will go down to um, um, New South Wales and go camping there for a week and we go off grid. So I will have no work to do, etc. But, you know, look, I've been working since I was seven. You know, I'm a complete workaholic and I absolutely love it. And um, so for others, they may say, my God, you have a, such a boring day, but it isn't. It's so varied and it's something that I can design myself very much so. Thanks so much for answering and sharing. It's such an individualized question and I've never had the same answer. So I do really appreciate yes. your sharing. And no, no I completely uh, resonate with what you're saying. Like I, at the moment, I've just got so many, like I just enjoy thinking. Like I just want to, I'm really getting into like visual, visualization and like, well, how can I, yes. actually, what does this actually yes. look like? So it's, um, it's amazing. Get a big, get a big thing like this, big uh, sheets of paper, A3. And I have multicolored pens, and I put all my thinkings on there. So you know, when I'm this—that's I'm just holding up in a sense uh, my AC3 piece of paper with GIC, the Griffith Innovation Challenge, and I've mapped out the 12 weeks and the resources and the thinking of the sessions, etc. You know, that's the sort of things I love doing, and then sort of doing each task and getting it done and it's a sense of completion in a sense. So, yeah, it definitely. It lets out yeah. that little, you hit, You feel like when you tick something off the list, you get that little endorphin hit. So, no, it's exactly. great. Yeah, I really exactly. do um, appreciate you having, um, leaving your time for me this afternoon, Naomi. I, I know you do have to, to rush off, um, but... You know, I wouldn't want to hold you back from doing any of those um, things on the, on the list. So, and I'm glad that you could um, fit in some time to have a discussion with me and listen to my uh, explain things to my member uh, listeners and member base. So, thank you so much for that. Delighted. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a whole other page of questions here, but we'll leave that to another day. We'll do it on another day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. When we get rid of this craziness, we can sit down over a cup of tea and. Um, or a glass of wine yeah. <laughs> and have a chat. Thanks so much again, Naomi. I do really appreciate it. No problems. Yeah. Take care. You, Thanks you very too. much, See you later. And to everybody listening in as well, I hope you weren't too bored. Thank no, you. No, it would be one of the most popular ones, I'd say. I uh, will see. <laughs> I really hope you guys got uh, a lot out of that episode. Uh, the startup space is something I'm really getting into. Uh, I feel my friends, even uh, the first guy I had on the episode of Cooking Goals, uh, Aaron, he's really enjoying the startup space, doing a few projects himself. So he might even be editing my podcast in the future. We'll see what happens. Uh, I've just finished uh, one of my books called The 4-Hour Work Week. That's something that I'm uh, aspiring to get to these days. Obviously, I'm doing a about 40 hours on the PhD at the moment, which uh, will never go away for the next couple of three or three years or so. Uh, but with in terms of other work, I'd like to try and uh, outsource that to some other friends of mine uh, for a little bit of dollars if they're keen. If they want to do it for free, get some experience as well, hit me up because uh, I'm not a big fan of the, the computer editing. Uh, so if you're keen to earn a couple of bucks to uh, help the cooks out even for free, let me know. Uh, shoot us an email and we'll sort something out. But thanks again for listening in. Uh, here's the outro, and I'll talk to you soon.
To finish off, as always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it as this is a passion of mine. Don't forget to leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And please share this episode on your social media or tell a friend to continue spreading the message of cooking goals. You can sign up to our weekly email by clicking the link in the description of this episode and follow our Instagram at The Cooks Community. We are also available on Facebook. Until next time, remember to breathe.